Welcome back to Tradman, everybody, and I want to welcome back our, our guest, Heath, who uh, is going to share his story with us uh, tonight, and so this is going to be a really interesting episode. Heath is going to talk about his conversion to the Catholic faith. That's always something that we're incredibly passionate about. I know you guys are, too. Um, so before we begin, as always, we're going to say a quick prayer to the Holy Ghost, and then we're just going to jump right into it. So uh, feel free to join along with us. If you're listening, let's invoke the divine blessing and ask God uh, for um, wisdom and, and peace to have, an in, to have an interesting and edifying discussion. And I hope you all will join along with us. In nomine Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Veni Sancti Spiritus, repletor accorda fidelium et tui amoris in eis ignim acende. Imite Spiritum tuum et creabuntur. Et renovabis facem tere. Oremos. Deus qui corda fidelium, sancti spiritus, illustrazione docuisti. Da nobis iniorum spiritu recta sapere, et de eo semper consolazione gadere, per Christum dominum nostrum. Amen. Amen. In nomine Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Heath, welcome back. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Well, good uh, to be here. <laughs> now, I, now I, know that, uh, I know that you're a convert, but I don't think I knew the full story of your conversion. What? Where did you come? Where did you come to the Catholic Church from? Sure. Yeah. Um, I was raised in what's known as the Christian Church, Churches of Christ, a denomination, which um, was uh, founded like in the 1820s in the United States. Um, Jason, Jason, is this different from the group that you came to us from? Uh, it came out of the same group. Um, okay. <clears throat> funny, funny story is that me and Heath back in our former days, at least within my group, we wouldn't have agreed with Heath. We would have thought they were, what would you say, Heath, more liberal. So we yeah. would have, we would have said, well, that's not a sound church. Right. Um, but, but yeah, so we, yeah, yeah. So basically they're, they're a branch of the same movement. Um, exactly. So we couldn't it, have had communion before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, Funny thing is, is like, this is how uh, I'll just briefly just say real quick. This is how I met Heath when I was converting the RCIA director. Um, I contacted her and I said, Hey, do you know anybody that I can talk to that came out of the churches of Christ, similar background that I have? Because as I've mentioned on a previous episode, there wasn't a lot of public voices that had the same background that I did or that Heath did. And it kind of felt pretty lonely coming from yes. our background. So, and of course I had a lot of questions. So I said, <clears throat> I would like to talk to somebody that can relate to what I'm thinking and what I'm going through. And she gave me Heath's number and I contacted him. And ever since then, We've become friends, and and I always say Heath is one of the guys that I could consider a good friend. I consider a brother at this point, not just in Christ, but just in life. And um, you know, Heath is definitely one of those where God takes in a former life, but He gives back tenfold in this life. And mm. and, and I definitely count my blessings with Heath. He's a very smart man. Very very encouraging so um I'm, I'm really excited to have him on because his story 
to me, at least the parts that I know are very inspiring. And I always tell Heath, I say, Hey, the, the world needs more Heath Vogels out there. <laughs> here, 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 here. Well, and, and I think it, this also speaks what you just said, Jason speaks to something. I, I think a prejudice that a lot of cradle Catholics have, we look at, at, at sort of Christendom as there's the Catholic church and then there are the Protestants. You've met one Protestant, you've met them all. Protestantism is all the same thing. And it's not true. And in fact, we were, uh, we were just talking recently, I think Jason, about the differences between Luther's, you know, theological disagreements with the Catholic church and Calvin's disagreements with the Catholic church, which were very different. And, so it's a mistake on our part to sort of just say, well, a Protestant's a Protestant's a Protestant. You've met one, you've met them all. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, that's not right. true. Um, right. And so that was that's that's a very good point. And I'm glad that you guys are, are both here to bring attention to that, because I think if we're when we're doing things like apologetics and I'm not the apologetics guy and everybody knows that. But it's good to know what it is, your what points you're arguing for or against so that you're not setting up straw men constantly and, and just missing the point when you're having these dialogues with people. Right. Heath, I want to go back to the very, very beginning here. How did you come to know Christ in any capacity? How, what, what was the thing or, or what was the process where you decided I, I, I want to follow this, this, this 2000 year old, Galilean carpenter turned preacher he he means something to me because it's actually I mean it's when you consider the fact that I, I don't know of any other 2,000 year old Nazarene mm -hmm. carpenters that have a major influence in the world I, I just don't know of any and there aren't any others how did you come to know and love Christ even as a as a Protestant I think that's a great question because um, as you guys know conversion is just, it's an ongoing thing, isn't it? <laughs> there, I had a conversion before converting to the Catholic church. I'm converting. Well, if I was doing it right, right. Be converting every day, take up my cross daily and follow him. And there's, there's been a whole host of conversions. Uh, in my case, the, um, the path seemed pretty straightforward to me. My dad was a pastor and a missionary and I grew up in the church as a preacher's kid. And when we weren't stateside uh, doing that, we were in Liberia, West Africa, where he was working as a teacher. My mom was working as a nurse, helping um, with physical needs as a, as a ministry in the name of Jesus. Now, and, can I date you a little bit? At what time frame are, are we? Are, are you in Liberia? Because I know, <laughs> depending on when you're there, that could be a very dangerous uh, part yeah. of the world. Yeah, and it was very dangerous for many of my close friends. We we were there before the first coup. Um, there was a coup attempt when we were there, our second term in the 80s. Um, but okay. we left about 87, and it was 90 when Charles Taylor came in, and right. you know everything blew up. Right. So, um, but they've been. We stayed in touch over there. In fact, my parents just got back from Liberia this past week. So they're continuing oh, okay. to work over there. Yeah. Goodness. Well, we'll certainly pray for them. Thank you. Yes. And, um, you know, and I also want to make the point, too, that since we're on that topic is, you know, I, I don't mean in any way to when I in sharing my conversion to, you know, speak down on any Protestants or to bash them or anything like that. I, 
In fact, all, no one else from my family has, has joined the Catholic Church. I still have many friends and, and family that are still in various uh, denominations and Christian communities. Um, but, you know, this, this was just something that I feel like the Lord did in my life as, as a conversion, which we're all called to have uh, wherever we are in the journey. And so when I share the story of, of coming into the church, I don't want it to, to come across like, uh, oh, I'm so much smarter than all my, you know, family and friends or something like that, you know? Right, the, 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 right, the prayer of the Pharisee. Thank you, Lord, for not making me like these people. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to be that person, for sure. You know, in a lot of ways, I think, you know, with the, the couple sacraments that they have, they're doing a, a better job than I am with all seven available. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> to do that. Maybe, yeah. Well, and you know, Let like, me, I, yeah, go ahead, Jason. No, sorry. no, no. I, I just wanted to ask him since, you know, he was talking about his missionary trips in West Africa as a, as a child. And, and we know we hear a lot of news coming out of Africa about how the church is growing. It's very, um, you know, in Africa right now, it's, it's growing, it's lively and whatnot so your, your time in africa what did you just in general for christ what what did you see among the people did you even back in the 80s did you see a lot of happiness and um excitement for christ like what is it there do you think that really that the message of christ really resonates with people just on general terms oh yeah um well cultural shocks and cultural differences um, are a bit overwhelming, you know, when you, when you live in a totally different world almost. Um, so to process it was challenging, but I think um, what I saw coming from our culture into theirs um, was um, a lot less material stuff, but it actually was um, uh, beautiful to see the the joy that was present without all the stuff you know and so there was real poverty there was you know no access to water or medicine or and some of the stuff education a lot of things that we take for granted a lot of illiteracy and things like that but there was a lot of joy there was a lot of singing um and uh, worshipful um attitudes uh in general just uh and part of common speech Everybody was thanking God for everything in, in their daily conversation. And this is all pre-war. Um, after the war, I think the culture really kind of took a nosedive. <laughs> but uh, so, it, so it's it, it's more of an American colony, Liberia. So it has its own kind of um, more of a Protestant history. There is some Catholic um, influence there. In fact, there's a few martyrs during the, uh, the Civil War um, from some of the sisters uh, adorers of the precious blood from out Illinois who were killed during the civil war. So, so they are there. So you at a young age are, um, really passionate about the Lord, pa passionate about Christianity, passionate about being a follower of Jesus. You've grown up in this, this group within the, the broader church of Christ movement. Yeah. What happens next? Um, yeah, so um, a long, long story to make short, um, we, 
say, where do I even begin with this? It's so hard. <laughs> you know, I was it thinking is. about this the other day. Like when you talk about your conversion story, because there's layers to it. There's so there's the there's the book you read, okay, that that changed your life. But yes. then there's all this untangible stuff happening in the background. And I I I I liken it to saying that religion is not about the rational. It's about the incomprehensible. And at yes. some point there's an indescribable something happened and I can't, you know, put my finger on it. I mean, the Bible itself talks about a great wind gushing into the room and tongues of fire appearing over everybody's head. And you're trying to visualize what this is, but at some point it's just otherworldly. I you know, so yeah, there's going to be limits to what you can describe. And I, I want you to feel comfortable with that here on the show. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, not to back up too far, but I mean, I was one of the stereotypical, uh, preachers, kids that you hear about the black sheep kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to own the faith. It had to become my own. Um, uh, but there were some time, uh, in that whole process where I was kind of living a worldly life and I was, um, when I was coming back um, to the faith again, out of that is when I uh, met my wife, uh, Kelly, and um, I uh, met her at a concert, and, <laughs> and that's a, that's an interesting story. But um, she was raised in a nominal uh, Catholic home, or I think her parents would say that they were not really practicing that much at that time at all. And um, I had a lot of head knowledge uh, about scripture and things like that, which she found interesting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and from her perspective, it, it started to become like, oh, she always wanted to, you know, uh, be more of a follower of Christ. And when she heard me talking about scripture, she got really fascinated about it and, um, but the thing was, uh, from from our background, Jason and I's background, we, we have a believer's baptism, which means you have to be at a certain age of reasoning before the va- the baptism is valid uh, yeah. in our under our in our tradition. Sure. And so she was a um, she was baptized as a baby as a Catholic, and I I didn't really want to marry her until um, she got baptized. <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> right. And so I, I didn't see her Catholic baptism as, as valid. Uh, this is some of the kind of anti-Catholic undercurrent that kind of goes uh, through the culture that I, I was in. And um, so actually um, baptized her about a week before we, we got married and went to Bible college, finished that up and was ordained and was a pastor. And she was a pastor's wife and we had five kids and we're doing the, doing the pastor's life for about 15 years um, on and off in different areas. So how, how old are you about this time? About, about when you become a, when you become a pastor? Um, came a, a pastor in my, I, I, math is one of my worst. Subjects, <laughs> but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm late twenties. Okay. When I, when I became a pastor. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And we, um, mid to late twenties and I'd been doing some, what we call bivocational, uh, ministry or tent making ministry, you know, like, like Paul was a tent maker. Uh, you've heard this before too, Jason. Is this like tent revival type stuff? 
Um, no, this is more like uh, just you earn your own um, income and then you do ministry okay. like on a volunteer basis. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And so we, we would call it bivocational. Uh, and okay. so we did a lot of, it did some of that. My first official uh, position was actually down here in Houston. And that fits into the story later on. Um, but also worked in um, the Ozarks in Missouri and a little bit in Orange County and uh, California. And then my last uh, assignment was in uh, near New Orleans in Mandeville, Louisiana. Okay. North Shore. Okay. <clears throat> did, did you do any missionary work as an adult like like your father did? We we did some uh, kind of like what we call short-term missions and things of that nature and just kind of give a boost to whatever the mission was doing, help with a project that was going on on the ground or whatever. Okay. Um, and we did some, interestingly, even before I met Kelly, I did one of those trips to um, Mexico City area where the the director there took me actually to the Basilica of the Virgin de Guadalupe. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just, it's very interesting because your, your perspective, um, it just determines what you see, you know? So we're at the Basilica and I saw, you know, images of, of Our Lady and the Virgin. And I saw people lighting candles in front of these images. And I saw people crawling on the ground in prayer do these kind of self-mortifications and all this prayer. And, and I saw people that looked fairly poor, but they're giving, you know, the widow's might, you know, and all this stuff. And I'm just like, man, these, and these bishops are living in all these, you know, nice mansions and, and they're just teaching these people idolatry. And that's what I saw when I was there. Yeah. I was, um, I did have some interesting experiences there, but that's, that's for another story. Um, and then we, I'm going to put a pin return. in that because I want to come back to that. But okay, <laughs> sure. <ahead>. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's, that's really the, the whole of the story is that I want to go back one day. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and then also we did some short term missions back to Liberia as well. Wow. So, yeah. So you're, I, you're, you are a, a, a minister <laughs> and your, your wife is a former cat, former Catholic now. Uh, right. and what is it, how, well, first of all, how long did you do that before you began your conversion to the Catholic church? Well, I mean, I would say the rough, um, I give a rough estimate of about 20 years of, okay. of, okay. of ministry in various capacities. Um, and I think that's so, interesting yeah. because when I talk to a Protestant minister who's been doing it for 20 years, it's not like I'm dealing with somebody who just doesn't know what they're talking about. They don't really know the Bible mm -hmm. that well. They don't really know any theology. And so, so it, it's interesting. It, it, to me, it makes it a more interesting story because you really are, and we're going to get into what starts moving you more towards the Catholic church in a moment, but I mean, we're really dealing with somebody here who knows the the theological foundations of their religion, who understand, you know, it, maybe they don't have the correct interpretations of the Bible, but they certainly know the Bible and they've got good reasons. Well, I don't know if they're good reasons, but they've got reasons why they believe what they believe. Yeah. Um, and so that's, 
you know, that, that fleshes out the story, I think a little bit more for us. And so we know we're dealing with somebody here who isn't just, well, I don't really, you know, I just kind of go where, you know, no, this is somebody who was a Protestant minister for 20 years. And, and I think, you know, you have to at least respect that. Um, yeah. yeah, I was yeah. going to go ahead. Heath. I was just going to say, and, and Jace could probably attest to this too. Uh, um, it was, it was not just any kind of, of, a Protestant group. I mean, there was a, um, I would have called myself a fundamentalist, like okay. with, with pride, you know, um, I, uh, because of the way I, I saw that term and its meaning. And there was, um, there wasn't a current of anti-Catholicism. And when I talk to some of my family and friends now, they say, well, we're not anti-Catholic okay. or, or whatever. Um, but, uh, there was that undercurrent and there were definitely uh, people and groups within it who were openly vocally <laughs> anti-Catholic. Yeah. And my particular um, uh, strain, I mean, like when I was in Bible college, uh, I still remember reading Jack Trick, uh, Jack uh, oh, Chick Tracks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Chick Tracks. Like, and just being like, man, the Jesuits are sacrificing babies. And, I think, you know, I think, I think I, we, I think we used to have those. Yeah. <laughs> Some of those we would have out in the foyer. Oh, um, really? <laughs> yeah, like, like, like at least similar to it. If it wasn't a Jack Chick, I guess. Um, yeah, it wasn't you know, formally taught, but we were like passing them around and things like that. So. It's. It's funny you say you talk about fundamentalists because I would have never have considered myself a fundamentalist in the regards because it's always kind of a um, people people don't use it in in a kind way most of the time. Yeah. But looking back, yeah, definitely a fundamentalist. Um, and I don't like you mentioned at the beginning of the show. I don't mean that in a negative way. Right. Um, exactly. But, but but we definitely were, and and I know when I look back at me, there's multiple points at which I was like, these were defining moments in my conversion, but there's always one or two that would, that got you on, that got me on the road. So I guess my question to you is, I mean, I mean, we can talk about some of the others, but if you had to pick one or two defining moments that you said that, that was starting to pull you in the way of the Catholic church, or at least examining its truths, what would you say those were like, like, like what point in your life were you like, Okay, why why am I being pulled this way? So, I think what had to happen in in my particular case, by the grace of God, He had to um, kind of till the soil for me to even receive that stuff, and it was an important part of the of the story. There had to be kind of a not quite a dark night of the soul, but a pretty dark time to kind of break down um, some of the stuff because you know emotionally, and when you're a, a pastor or a preacher, um, even if you believe you're looking at this in an objective way, there's an emotional part of you that is not going to want to bite the hand that feeds you. You know, you're being taken care of by this, by this uh, community. And uh, it's a big ask, you know, emotionally to, to get to that point. And so I think what had to happen uh, to me, before I got to these points, uh, uh, to answer your question, Jason, there's like a, there were some definite moments, yeah. but I think that there had to be some tilling of the soil first. And um, what happened there, I would just say, uh, with my last assignment, I, 
emotionally, I started getting to the point where I realized um, it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz is the analogy I use where they, they get there and they pull back the curtain and it's just this old guy moving a machine, right? And, and smoke is coming out with beers and stuff like okay. that. Okay, yeah. And, uh, and um, you know, I've been I'm working in ministry my whole life, been studying scriptures, gone to Bible college, and, and trying to serve the Lord in, in different capacities. But when I pulled back the screen of what we were doing, I realized the person running all the machinery here was just me and maybe a group of, of elders or, you know, having some meetings, deciding what we were going to teach or talk about or what programs we were going to run. And so as a pastor, I just felt like that was empty. I wanted, uh, I wanted more of the Holy Spirit to be in his church and uh, recognizing that it was really uh, something that I was deciding to do uh, on my own personal private prayer life, decided what we were going to preach on, what we were going to do, what events we were going to sponsor and all this kind of stuff. Um, I realized that that was, it just seemed like not enough or it didn't seem full. It seemed like the old guy in the wizard of Oz running the machines yes. and that guy was me. And, uh, the other kind of, uh, as I was praying and meditating about it, the thing that kind of struck me is the body of Christ <clears throat> is the church, right? And, and Christ is God. And so in a sense, uh, what convicted me was I felt like we were making a church, which is supposed to be the body of Christ, who's God. In other words, we were making a God in our own image. Uh, and mm. I felt like I was engaging in, in a form of idolatry, to be honest with you, because wow. I was creating something that was uh, that I was calling church. But really, it was me and a group of guys, uh, you know, prayerfully considering things. But there's whole lot of emotions there and there's not much tradition that goes back to the apostles with our decision making <laughs> but i didn't know that at the time i didn't i didn't have that part of the equation at that moment i just knew something was missing i knew it was the holy spirit and so uh when i left my last ministry i i committed to two things uh trying to find uh just try to live a spirit-filled life and i just i decided i was going to read the gospel of john just like constantly for why John in, well <clears throat> in some of my training I'd heard the gospel of John was like the best for evangelism and I just okay. felt like I needed to be re-evangelized by the word of God you know okay. and okay. I just wanted to hear from him and hear what he had to say and I was attracted to his approach to to Christ he's Fair also enough. my patron he's also my patron saint now that I'm Catholic so wonderful Saint John pray for us <laughs> amen so um, you so you commit to reading the Gospel of Saint John. You are trying to live a more spirit filled life, and the hope is that that will direct your ministry, uh, yes. and and you can steer the church back maybe a little bit more towards uh, what it's supposed to be doing versus your sense of what it's doing now. Um, and this and and this was all an effort. You, to to direct the the Christian church that you're le leading the denomination, right? I mean, at this point, there was there was no intention on leaving, right? It was just how can I be a better minister to to my my group of people. At this point, I actually became open to whatever. Um, I started talking okay. to some of my Calvinist friends. I started talking to some of my Pentecostal friends. Um, 
I even was exploring Messianic Judaism. I was reading all of these uh, traditions and trying to to discover uh, Messianic Judaism was attractive because of uh, as a restoration movement. You know, we wanted to get back to the early church. Mm-hmm. And the early church was very Jewish. <laughs> and so I wanted to understand the Jewish mindset so I could have a better hermeneutic when I read scripture. And uh, so that's what was attractive about that. And Pentecostalism, of course, you know, there's a, an emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And so I wanted to see what was there. Um, and that's another is, story. Is there, and, is, there, is there in your mind at this point an idea that uh, if I, if I, join or become another christian denomination i'll also be a minister there this is in other words okay so yeah this is it's conversion in a sense but you haven't committed to anything yet you're open to ideas exactly yeah open to ideas and um but what ended up happening was my life just started falling apart and this was this was probably the best thing that happened to me. Although at the time it was extremely extremely painful. Um, Can you talk about it, that? Yes. What what happened at that time was um, I had an old injury from my bivocational years uh, doing carpentry, mm-hmm. and had injured my back. Uh, it was a bulging disc and and all that, but it it wiped me out and we we didn't have a place to stay and so we ended up staying in in the by the generosity of somebody from my dad's church had some property available but it was an old kind of more rustic (laughs) place out in the woods and um so i'm kind of isolated out in the woods i've got five little kids my back goes out and i'm practically bedridden for about eight months before I finally just went ahead and got surgery. And during that time, um, uh, you know, we lost all of our financials and, um, and there's something very painful um, for a man when he's unemployed and can't find work. I hear you. And, and also um, knowing that I couldn't even work, even if I wanted to was, uh, just brought me to a very deep sense of, of helplessness. And then <clears throat> what happened, uh, I'm really speeding through this, but um, then the property, the family had decided to sell. So we had two weeks to leave this property with no money. <laughs> and and uh, and my back, I was still recovering from surgery. And uh, we were basically homeless. We didn't have a place to go. And that's when a a dear friend from the Houston area, uh, as I mentioned, one of my first uh, positions was actually in the Houston area. He was a student in my youth group. I was a youth pastor at that time. He had gone on to be a pastor himself. And he said, why don't you just come down here? The economy's better in in Houston, in the St. Louis area. And uh, you can... uh, find some work and uh, why don't you just come on down? We'll give you a place to stay, help you get on your feet. And so that's kind of the move that then brought in the story of the Catholic church coming into the equation. You know what I think is interesting in all this? Heath, before he was Catholic, 
He had a Catholic sized family. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I, I, I also, I also made connections and we're, we're in Advent right now. And so this, this all harkens back to another carpenter who had nowhere to go and nowhere to stay. Hey, hey. I mean, I, I'm telling Saint you, Joseph, I, I see yeah. these connections and they're, you know, yeah, maybe you could just say everything's just a coincidence, but I don't believe in coincidences, but yeah, um, we, especially we not in the spiritual life. That's no, right. I, yeah. I, I think, I think Heath, I think you would say that, and you alluded to it in the middle of all this, I'm sure you were uh, praying fervently for, for God's guidance, for God's help, not only spiritually, but physically and financially to help you get through these tough times. And at the time, did, did it seem like, man, I, I, I feel forgotten. I mean, I, I feel like God is not answering my prayers at the time. Did, did you ever feel like that? And then now you look back and you say, oh, God was answering my prayers in his in his time and in his way. Or did you never go through that? Because you talked to a lot of people and and when they're in these tough moments, that's how they start to feel many times. Right. Did you ever feel like that or or? Yes, many times um, there was. um <clears throat> There was one moment when I was laying on my back, I um, I had one of those experiences where take up and read, you know, and I'm just laying on my back and, and the, the pain was so great. I couldn't even pray, Jason, you know, I mean, uh, I couldn't even focus on prayer, but I, um, all of a sudden I had this uh, kind of uh, feeling of just take up and read. I picked it up and uh it was the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And it was very poignant to me because I was lying on my back, uh, unable to, to do anything, but, you know, perhaps beg if I, if I was living in that time period, but I, I read the story and it was one of the few times in my life. I, I almost, I, I felt like I heard a voice <laughs> and, uh, and God said, um, you know, what, uh, you know how it ends with, Lazarus in Abraham's bosom uh, in paradise. And the voice kind of just asked me, what did, uh, what did Lazarus do to, to be saved? And almost immediately the, the response just kind of came up out of me. Like he, he didn't do anything, but lay there and beg basically <laughs> that's the story. And, um, and the second question followed right on the heels, um, which would you rather be like the rich man or Lazarus? As I'd rather be like Lazarus, you know. Um, but the the significance of that to me was that, uh, and I don't mean to disparage other Protestant pastors, but I think they'll get this point if they've gone to any workshops or conventions with other pastors. There's a little bit of a kind of like comparing of congregation size and what books am I writing and how big is my name and this kind of stuff and. There's a little bit of narcissism there, maybe, perhaps. I don't know. Um, but I, uh, I think where I was at that moment was I was still looking for uh, to solve all these problems, but then still be some kind of preacher that makes a big difference and writes a bunch of books and things like that. And it was all about uh, my success and being kind of like the rich man. And the reality was that maybe I was... Uh, at least in that moment, being called to be more like Lazarus and to beg and to just depend on the Lord. And so that was kind of a, a turning point in that. 
but yeah, it was very dark and painful, but there were those little moments like that, Jason, that, um, helped kind of pull me through. Yeah. That's powerful. That is. And so you, you, you make it to Houston. Yeah. And, um, tell me what happens next. Okay. Well, my wife, uh, gets a, a job working for a Catholic doctor, the same, the same one I've been to, <laughs> perhaps. I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Wow. And okay. um, and um, that's an important point. The next point is I'm just doing a lot of of reading at this time with my friend, who's also a pastor, and <clears throat> I'm actually reading some uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a Lutheran. Uh, who died during World War II for uh, the faith. And, uh, but he has some really good writings. And um, I was wrestling with something he wrote in his book on ethics that was always right in front of my face, but I had never seen it before. And that was the simple idea of whatever the early church looked like and was, it had bishops. Yeah. And um, as someone who had been wanting to restore the early church, you know, as a restoration movement guy, mm-hmm. we didn't have bishops. Um, we, we had something else that was kind of like following Robert's rules of order in a little board meeting, you know, in the back of the church. Well, we, um, yeah. I, real quick, I, I know we would we would never call them bishops, but we would, right. you know, of course, we would have elders, and we would say that bishop's just another word for elder. Of course, that's what we would have said. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, but yeah, I, I was just it's just interesting the they would they we would say that within our movement, but we would not use the word. Probably, I'm pretty sure because it sounded pretty Catholic. Yeah, exactly. No, no. And Mark, you laugh, but that's like, no, I, I get it. That's a, I the, get the, it. There are so many things that we couldn't and wouldn't do because we didn't want to appear Catholic, even there if there was, was nothing wrong with it. There was a famous story from a few years ago about a Baptist church. And apparently they, they had hired somebody to do a, a woodworking relief um, uh, sculpture above the door of the church. And, all it was was the resurrected Christ sort of with his arms out like this. And he's just sort of staring straight on. And the, there was no Mary or anybody else. It was just a, a, a relief of Jesus like that. And they didn't like it because they thought it looked too Catholic. Oh yeah. I still remember. And I went and I went, we'll take that. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I still remember preaching a Christmas sermon and talking about Mary and just feeling so uncomfortable and throwing out the caveats, you know, I mean, you know, not to sound too Catholic, I think I even said that in one in my sermon. So, <laughs> you know, it, it was a concern, you know. Sure. sure. <laughs> but uh, the the issue there was just that I was beginning to realize that there was uh, a kind of an authority in the early church that I hadn't seen because what I had seen in our group was really, you know, the guy behind the curtain in Oz, you know, just kind of there wasn't this idea of apostolic succession and you know, bishoprics with with real church authority. And, and things of that nature. And so that was germinating on the side. Then um, we had a, like I said, um, a Catholic doctor that my wife was working for, and he wanted to create kind of more of a, a family environment for 
uh, all of the aides and office workers and nurses. <clears throat> and so he would have people come over to his house um, fairly frequently. And when I was over there once, uh, his wife, who's also a doctor, found out that I uh, heard about my situation and invited me to go to um, it's called Genesis to Jesus by the St. Paul um, biblical group out of oh, Steubenville. The oh, Scott yeah, Hahn group. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> and so they were doing that at a parish down here, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. And they invited me to come to it if I was interested. And um, I was, I was like, thanks, you know, I mean, I was checking everything out, but it was just not on my radar the catholic church sure it's like okay thanks look um, i'm open but i'm not open to catholic i'm not <laughs> right i i'm not open to what you know you know it just it made sense if they were that big and that powerful been around for that long um there had there had to be something spiritual about them mm -hmm. but since i wasn't them that spirit had to be a bad one so just put it that way gotcha. you know i kind of felt like um it was maybe a satanic delusion. Um, I, I probably wouldn't have had any problem with, you know, the idea of the Pope being the Antichrist and, you know, this kind of concept. Um, so. And by the I, way, I, I, just, I, I get it because, yeah. I mean, as a Catholic, I've had, you know, people from Protestant groups invite me to Bible studies and I'm like, yeah, miss me with that. I just, I, I get it. And, and, yeah. Miss me with that. Well, miss me with that. I mean, you know, quite frankly, just, what do I, I, but it's, there is a certain haughtiness of, well, I don't have anything to learn from you. It's one yes. thing to be like, you know, I respectfully, I, I, I can't attend that because of my religious convictions, but I have to admit many times I do that because it, oh, I don't have anything to learn from you people, you know, and that, that ain't, that's not, that's not yeah. a good attitude to take. But anyway, I think, I, I'm just saying I get it. I, I yeah, get where yeah, that yeah. comes from. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think a lot of good Catholic apologists today, they they recognize that fact. And while they may not worship and stuff like that with these Protestant people, they will interact with and they will read their books. And some of the stuff, you know, just because they're Protestant, Protestant doesn't mean that they won't have good points to make that you sure. can use, you know, but again, being Catholic, we have the magisterium of the Catholic church to keep us within the, the, the lane, you know, that we right. need to be. And so we can listen to them. We can interact. We can use some of their apologetic material. If it's within the framework that the Catholic church has set before us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but anyway, yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, that's, <laughs> those are good points. Yeah. And um, so at the time I was actually, uh, doing some pulpit filling, which is you know, like um, preaching at some churches by invitation, mm -hmm. and was was I kind of had an offer to be on staff with the church in the area as well. And in fact, I was meet, meeting with the head pastor the morning I went <clears throat> to this Genesis to Jesus thing, and uh, we were having breakfast together. And when we left. Um, I was like, oh, I've got to go to this thing. Oh, yeah, where are you going? It's like, oh, I got invited to this Catholic church thing. And, and they were just like, oh, like, it, it kind of looked like the, the blood went out of their face a little bit. You know, mm. <laughs> At least that was my impression. And so I tried to say real quick, don't worry. It's not like they're going to convert me or something. Yeah. <laughs> those, were my, those were my famous last words. Famous last um, words. So I, 
and I have to make um, also the point that the night before, um, so I don't know if you're familiar with Matthew Leonard. Um, he's got a podcast called The Art of Catholic. It's worth checking out. Nice he's written guy. a few Robert, books as well, right? I think so, yeah. Okay, and Robert Cor Corzine, I think he, at, at least at one point, was working at, in Steubenville uh, with some of the media stuff. Um, really great guys. And they, they were um, at the doctor's house the night before, you know, kind of doing a social thing. And they invited me there um, to come meet them as well before the actual conference. So I got to meet those guys and was kind of, you know, you know, pushing them away and um, not really open to what they had to say, but they were very friendly and, you know, I had a good conversation with them and I just thought, you oh, know, they're kind of nice, whatever. And in fact, I went through this whole day long presentation genesis to jesus kind of like salvation history story and i was like yeah i know all this stuff already <laughs> and um and he made a few points during his presentation though that were good catholic points that kind of got me thinking and but it wasn't really like i didn't leave there thinking anything like, mm -hmm. like this is this is the answer or anything like that but what happened at the very end um <clears throat> I, I was doing the polite thing and I went up to Robert said, thank you for the presentation. I appreciate your work. And, and I went up to Matthew and, and told him, you know, thanks for, for that. And he, he, uh, we discussed a little bit. And before we left, he said, uh, he says, well, you know, I'll, I'll be praying for you. And I was like, well, thanks. I appreciate it. And he put his uh, hands uh, like on my shoulder there and kind of just looked me right in the eyes. Like, very seriously said, no, I'm, I'm going to be praying for you. And there was something about that. Literally the moment I turned around from that and walked out the doors, everything changed. I, something supernatural happened. There was uh, mm. the hounds of heaven were on me, you know, and I couldn't stop just um, reading and absorbing information. I, I went out and I bought this. This is the exact book I bought, actually. And I just, I read this from cover to cover because I was kind of like, well, listen, I know it's not true, but I want to know, like, I want to know why I don't believe the Catholic Church is the real church from their own mouth instead of like what I, what I think they say. Absolutely. And when I read what they actually, yeah, when I actually read what they said, I was like, Oh my goodness, these guys, it's so coherent. Like I'd been stuck in these debates between theologians, you know, in my mind and in my head for all these decades. And here we go. I mean, like this, this flows, this makes sense. I love it. And I think and then people I, are like a little intimidated by the word catechism because it's a Greek word. Yeah. So they think it's yeah. like this really dense theological tome and it's it's such an accessible book. Yeah like any i mean you you have to have a ba some sort of basic background i guess in order to read it but you know a, a, an average teenager mm -hmm. could read this book and understand the ideas that are being presented in it so yes. yeah well, well done and, Heath. and i think so many of us converts realize that what you were saying heath is that we were basically arguing against ideas and and thoughts of what we thought the Catholics believed, not what they actually believed. Like we were, right. we were arguing against straw men that were mm -hmm. set before us. And uh, who was exactly. it? Bishop Fulton Sheen that said there are, there aren't a million yeah. people that hate the Catholic church, but I, I know I'm messing it up. How does it go? There aren't a million people that hate the Catholic that 
hate the Catholic Church for what it really teaches, but there are many who hate the Catholic Church for what they perceive it. Yeah, I'm going to look up the, the, yeah, yeah, basically that's it. But, but yeah, I mean, there are so many people, myself included, that did not like the Catholic Church for what I thought it taught versus what it actually taught. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then related to the, uh, to the authority thing, I was still kind of um, messing around with that. But, you know, to me, the authority was scripture. But what I didn't understand or what I wasn't getting, uh, were a couple things. Uh, number one was that there has to be an interpreter of that scripture, and and that our interpretation was actually our tradition. And whether we would call it tradition or not, it was tradition. And, <laughs> and so, um, and uh, I would say things you know previously, like you know you need to do what the Bible says first. So you put the Bible before the church, um, and then what I came to realize, I mean, just uh, sequentially, uh, who were these letters being written to? Churches that already existed. <laughs> you right. know? And it just started to click in my head. I was like, oh, wait, the church already existed before the scriptures. So if I really want to go back to the early church, I can't have a New Testament. <laughs> and so, um, so as a New Testament Christian, as I would call myself, you know, that was kind of a devastating blow yeah, to my, to my, uh, my thesis there, my premise. And, and so I, um, I began to realize if the church was there before the scriptures, um, then what does the church teach? And and you know, that kind of led to the catechism thing. And then I had also picked up this book concurrently. This is the, uh, apostolic fathers. I, I like this translation. It has the Greek, Ooh has the Greek with it um, side by side with the English and a lot of footnotes and textual criticism and things like that. Mark, you have no idea how much of an intellectual Heath is. No, I, I, I can, (laughs) I I can totally tell that. And I get that. And uh, I mean, I'm I'm just into weird things. I don't know that I'm that smart. Um, (laughs) Well, I tell you, I I did want to, well, there's, there's, there's a thing of intellectual honesty and, and I, I, Here's the deal. People from other, there's a lot of people from a lot of different other religions out there in the world. While I, while I will not say that I respect their religions because I believe that they're false religions and that wouldn't make any sense. I can at least respect the sincerity of their convictions. And there are a lot of sincerely honest, intellectually honest people because, Hey, let's face it. Sometimes the truth is difficult. It's difficult to figure out what the truth is. And you know, the cat, the catechism even says that there are, uh, there might be uh, methods of salvation known only to Christ that we can commend the, the, the soul of, of every, everybody to, after they die, you know, to, to the mercy of yes. almighty God. <clears throat> but I, I really do think that if you search the truth in honesty and sincerity, I do not think God will hide himself from you. Right. Um, and, and that's one of the things that's coming through in this story a lot is, yeah, you were in a different uh, religious group and, and, and in many ways it was a false religion, but mm-hmm. you were sincerely, you sincerely sought the face of Christ. And if you sincerely seek him, he will reveal himself to you. So I, I, and I firmly do believe that. And that's one of the things that this, that is really coming through in this story. Um, and I'm sorry to cut you off like that, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed. I'm very impressed. <laughs> well, j- just a couple of things. Um, 
Well, first, let me let me get the actual quote from Bishop Fulton Sheen. Um, there are not 100 people in the United States who hate the Catholic church, but there are millions who hate what they wrongly perceive the church to be. There you go. And, you know, uh, I wanted to make a point on what you said and then getting back to his, his story is, yeah, I mean, I know I always heard growing up and I'm sure Heath did too, that if people just with an open and honest heart, search the scriptures, they would, they would all come to the truth and and then there would be unity. But as I got older, I had a problem with that because I'm like, you cannot tell me that there aren't honest and good faith people in other denominations who are seeking the truth but have come to a different conclusion because there is not an infallible interpreter to Scripture. And, you know, Heath, you were you were mentioning how you started realizing, well, the church came before the Scripture because I know, you know, Scripture – was always supposed to be what you use to keep order within your church, right? Because that was the final and only authority within within our, our our group of denominations, but also most Protestant denominations, right? But yeah, you you start to look back and you're like, okay, I know I know we read Saint Paul, Saint Peter, and them, and they're they're writing letters and they're writing to churches, but these weren't the only churches, and there was only a limited number of apostles. So, yep. so they couldn't be at all these churches. And you read where St. Paul writes to St. Timothy, you know, a point like, you know, uh, able-minded people or able-bodied people that can help you in, in the ministry, help you govern and keep order in these churches and pass on the gospel message. So I like I like how you brought that up in your, your conversion story because I think people, th- that's one of the biggest problems within Protestant Christianity is they get it backwards. They they pretend that the churches had order either without the Bible or the Bible came first, which is just historically inaccurate. Yeah. And I mean, practically speaking, what does it really mean to be sola scriptura? It means he with the loudest voice wins. Yeah. That's all it means. And from a pastor's perspective, um, you were either I mean. I started getting really cynical, which is one of the reasons I began to step away and just said, there has to be something more here. And one of the cynical thoughts that I had <laughs> during that time period was either, either the pastor's going to have to beat up the congregation to see things his way, <laughs> or the congregation's going to get a consensus together and beat up the pastor and use him to follow their interpretation of what scripture is. And uh, even amongst themselves, that consensus is usually impossible. If you've been to any board meeting, you know <laughs> how difficult that could be. And um, and so it just it wasn't it wasn't a working thing. And I mean, one of the things I read here in First Clement uh, during this time was in First Clement thirty seven. He talked about how. Um, Let us serve as soldiers, brothers, in all seriousness. Under orders, let us consider the soldier who serves under our commander. Not all our prefects, our tribunes, or centurions, or captains of fifty, or so forth, but each in his own rank executes um, the orders given by the em- emperor and the commander. Uh, the great cannot exist without the small, and the small cannot exist without the great. And so, what you see in Clement, who's dealing with church conflict of this very nature, is it's like we're that you see this um, emphasis on we're all in this together. 
Mm-hmm. This is a family and I'm a father speaking to you. He's the Pope yeah. right. <laughs> speaking to them. Yeah. And um, that particular verse, uh, for whatever reason, really struck me. And I began to realize that there needs to be um, some somebody with authority that keeps the family together. Otherwise, we're just going to keep fighting each other. And so once that uh, concept was um, kind of accepted, I became more open to continue reading. That's when I started reading the catechism along with this at the same time. And by the time I got to St. Ignatius's letters where he talks about the Eucharist and knowing that St. Ignatius actually knew St. John, who I had been reading for well over a year, almost every day. Um, and the John six verses, you know, um, I had my own view on that, but to read from somebody who actually knew John and hear what his interpretation of it was, has more weight than me, you know, 2000 years removed. And so when he talks about this, uh, this Eucharist being, um, the same flesh descended from this David, you know, um, that those are, um, heretical that, you know, do not accept that it's truly Christ's flesh. I, I, I don't have the exact words here, but the medicine of immortality, these kinds of concepts of what the Eucharist was. When I saw what the early church really thought the Eucharist was, I think it was at that point, then I finally knew, Hey, I'm going to have to become Catholic. Wow. And I got, I got really scared. You know, it, it really freaked me out. Um, Cause my wife wasn't in on these conversations with me. I was just kind of doing them sure. by myself. Sure. My kids had all been hearing me preach, you know, for their entire lives, something that was rather uh, different. And, and so I, I knew that this was going to be a family issue um, within my own immediate family and my extended family. And I was, I was scared. Was there a, become Catholic? <laughs> was there a was there a was there a discernment and prayer period? Okay, so this re, this 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 revelation sort of dawns on you. I can immediately think for myself, and, and I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. My first response would be, I'm going to pray about this for a while so that God can tell me I'm wrong. At this point, <laughs> I've just been doing all this. Like he had already been doing all this stuff with me for over a year. Gotcha. So at this okay. point, I was just, I'm okay. That's enough. You understand. I, I, just, I see it. It's clear. I, I'm going for it. So now it's and, time to talk to say, the wife and kid. Okay. I'm go, go, go ahead. Jason. No, yeah. I, I, just, I just wanted to add real quick before we get to this part. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but some people look at the conversion of Protestants too simple minded. Because they say, well, you were just looking to go to the Catholic Church. And if you talk to the people that actually converted, almost every single one did not want to become Catholic. <laughs> and, it, and, and they were dragged in, in some cases, kicking and screaming. <clears throat> but you, their love for give the up tr- a lot. <clears throat> yeah, their love for the Giving truth up a lot. Brought, brought them in. And, and this is why I, I love his story. And it's such an encouragement. Because, yes, I converted. But. I didn't give up as much as Heath as Heath did, and he Heath has such a passion for the truth that he was willing to give up so much for Christ's truth, and it, it always just amazes me because again, I converted, I still had my job, I still had my income. Yeah, you know, I lost friends and and disappointed family members and stuff like that, but my day to day 
is you know didn't really change whereas he he you know he upended his whole life and to to, to me it, i look at those stories and i'm like would i have the courage to do that you know i, I didn't um, have the courage to not do it because i had it was it was empty there was nothing else there there was nothing else there for me it's like um and this was this kind of became almost a mantra to steal from another tradition of uh of mine during the whole you know uh, coming in reception time period where uh, in john where uh, the the disciples leave because the teaching on the eucharist is too extreme right. um, and he asks peter are you going to go too and he says to whom else shall we go Fair you enough. have the words of life and i was already at that point it's like i there's nowhere else for me to go this mm -hmm. this was just so clear um I think based on all that emotional uh, stuff that had been kind of moved, removed from me by the grace of God uh, over the course of, I don't know, a year and a half or almost two years. So, yeah. So now it's time to talk to the family. How did that go? <laughs> well, okay. So, and my wife didn't, <laughs> my wife didn't take it. It, it was funny. Um, now it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Now it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, you mean to tell me, you know, you talked me out of, you know, you told me I had to get baptized before we got married. You know, you talked me out of the Catholic church and then, uh, traips, we traipsed around the country to all these, uh, ministries. And, you know, she's, she was being, you know, it's, it's a lot of work to be a pastor's wife, you know? I bet. And, yeah. um, and she was like, and now you're telling me you're going back to the same place. You know, you talked me out of, I don't, I don't want to go back, but, Unbeknownst to me, you know, she had been praying um, for for me because she saw that I just I just didn't want to go to any more of these services anymore. They they just were about the music and the smoke machines and the celebrity preaching and the feel good message. And I just that's I just couldn't see it anymore. And it was like I was seeing this other thing and I was like, I just don't want to go anymore. And uh, but she was praying that we could all again go to church as a family is what she wanted more than anything. Just want to be together as a family again. And so <clears throat> um, fortunately, I'd read uh, Scott Hahn's book on uh, Rome, Sweet Home. Rome, Sweet where, Home. Yep. Yeah. Which is beautiful. It's to me, it's a beautiful love story between him and Kimberly and um, how their marriage stayed together. And one of the things I noticed in it that really spoke to me was he made, he said, I made the mistake of just trying to argue my wife into the church <laughs> and it really here, here, drove here, a wedge here. in our relationship. Sure. And that when he backed off, you know, and just let the Lord work um, that, and it doesn't always happen that way for people, but he said it, you know, I have to stay true to, to my conscience and just let the Lord work on with her conscience. And so I kind of approached it with her in that vein, like, um, you know, Kelly, this is, is where the Lord's leading me. I, I fully understand if you don't want to go with me on, on this journey. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I have to be faithful to the Lord. And uh, I want to invite you with me to be with me on the journey. But I understand if you don't want to. And I really just let her make her own decision. And I didn't put any kind of pressure or influence on her because 
I learned from uh, Scott Hahn's story not to do that. <laughs> yeah, I and think it, there, I think that's absolutely right. But well, and one of the reasons that I'm not that big of an apologist is number one, there's a limited amount of space in here, and I have trouble remembering chapters and verses and things like that. <laughs> and I, I can say, you know, there's that story in the Bible, and I can sort of tell you the story, but I can't quote chapters and verses, and I'm not that proof text guy. You would not be a good Protestant. Is what I would saying. not be a good Protestant, but also, <laughs> I, I I loved what you just said. I don't think you can really argue somebody into a religion, yeah. any any religion really. Conversion right. is a there's a mystery there. It's a gift yes. of the Holy ghost. And my grandmother, who was a very pious woman before she passed away, um, she used to say that only God can convert people. That's and the right. best thing that you can do is stay the heck out of his way. Right. And she was absolutely right about that. So yeah, no, I, that's well said. That's well said. And um, I know what, I don't know what kind of time period you guys are. Oh, I got time. To. Yeah. You I got, got time. time. I got time. Oh, okay. Strap in, folks. It's getting good. <clears throat> yeah. So I also had five children. Yeah, we need to talk about that too. Now, and your and your kids at this age are yeah, the age range. Little kids or so this would have been um 2015. Okay. So that is this is how quick my math is. That is seven years ago. <laughs> okay. So if I subtract seven from um so my youngest would have been 10 and my oldest would have been um, 18. Okay. So you can't just, yeah, they're, they're not of the age of, okay, we were going to church here. Now we're going to church this other place. You're going to have to, yeah. they're, they're actually going to have to either come along on their own That's right. or not. Okay. Okay. That's gotcha. right. And my, and my, my son actually has disabilities. So he was going to be uh, with us, you know, okay. for the long haul. Sure. And, um, and so, um, yeah, <clears throat> so a couple of things happened with that story. One is, um, we all went to mass together. She said, okay, we're, we're going to come with you. This, I told her I'm going to mass. You're invited, but no pressure. <laughs> it's just, we're coming with you because she had been praying that she wanted to all be at church together. Mm -hmm. And I think in the back of her mind, uh, she can tell this part of the story much better than I can, but in the back of her mind, she was kind of like, he's going to see what the Catholic church is like. And, He's not going to want it, you know, because <laughs> she had kind of, you know, turned turned away from it. It is a culture shock. It is like, a culture shock. Very yes, big. I don't is. think people realize that. I mean, I know there's this TLM versus Novus Ordo debate going on and all that. Coming coming from a low church type background as we did, it's a big culture shock seeing all that, and it's hard to to look past all the the what what we would call the pomp and 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 the the vestments of the priest it's anyway it's it's definitely a culture shock the first time you go absolutely yeah and i'm looking forward to the culture shock of the heavenly liturgy <laughs> mm, we're here. We're here. um we're here. but um as we walked in you know there was something going on you know you could feel it or whatever <laughs> it's just like i didn't really know what was happening but we all we just kind of did what everybody else was doing. So we just like filled up a pew, put down the kneelers and, and just knelt there. And my wife, <clears throat> she was at the end of the pew and she, she's, she's telling me this later. She said, she looked down, she saw her whole family kneeling in prayer. There was like a little bit of stained glass, you know, in the distance and a little sun just kind of like hitting us. <laughs> anyway, she just saw, you know, her family together praying at church and she started crying. 
And she, she kind of had a conversion of tears, as they would say. Mm. And it took her a little while to process it. Um, but for her, you know, it was an issue of um, just getting back to confession. She'd sure. already been through all of her sacraments. Um, with us, it was a, it was, it was a challenging, we, we faced a lot of challenges. And I would say too, if you decide that you're going to convert, Satan's going to throw everything in the kitchen. Oh sink yeah. At you. No, no oh, question. Yeah. Um, we had all kinds of problems with, um, uh, I, I just don't want to really speak bad about anybody, but, um, sure. there were so many issues, uh, you know, being, being turned away from, from one church because, you know, we don't have anything going on right now. Um, yeah. Wait, you were turned away from Catholic parishes because there were no RCIA? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, it, we don't have anything going You've on right now. got to be and kidding then, me. Yeah. Not yeah. every, <laughs> not every parish has a year round RCIA program. If you don't yeah. know that. Yeah. And then, um, we need to pray for whoever it was that did that because their, their soul is not in a great place right now. I'm serious. I mean, in going, a lot of going, ways, going to the last day and having to have yeah. that conversation with Jesus, man. Mm. But in all honesty, all these things, all these obstacles were just like confirmations to me. Cause I knew at this point, um, I knew number one, my pride needed to be totally destroyed and, it was still lingering and it still is, but it was these kinds of encounters were very helpful for, <laughs> for me dealing with some of my anger issues, some of my pride issues. And, um, and secondly, I knew that anything good is going to be hard to get. And well I, I well and said. so I was just like, this is uh, okay. This, I just saw it as an obstacle, but I was, it was emotional. It did. It did affect me. Don't get me wrong, but, um, but, uh, you know, we, we, we found another group and we were invited into that and they were working with us, but then there came up problems because of our, um, <clears throat> marriage because she was Catholic. Um, there were some issues though, with the way that that was being handled, um, contrary to canon law and, uh, I mean, I was buying everything. I mean, I had all these books. I even had the canon law book, you know, in Latin and English. <laughs> I was reading. Sure. And, and so they were trying to tell me about convalidation and all this kind of stuff. And I was asking questions. And I guess I was asking the wrong questions because they, they were getting a little upset about that. And they were kind of patronizing, too. It's like, oh, well, I've been doing this for 20 years. You know, you, you're cute. Bless your heart. You know, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, well, see, what they were asking at one point place and we won't give any names they were asking um <clears throat> for us to get our marriage convalidated but in order to do that we needed to be living together and having relations because that's what married people do and it's it, if you're not having relations then we're not going to convalidate your marriage and i said um so, but uh, why do we need to get validated to begin with? Yeah. It's not why valid, right? So we should be living apart right now. And according to what you're saying, oh, no, 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 you know, bless your heart, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, so and I just started looking at all the- Alas, we arrive at my favorite, my favorite prayer uh, that all Catholics pray. Please, Lord, protect the Catholic Church 
from the Catholic Church. <laughs> from the Catholic Church, exactly. <laughs> anyway, yeah. sorry about that, but you'll, yeah, you'll and, find. And I'm sure you've been Catholic long enough to know that that prayer never goes away. Unfortunately, that's that's right. Well, and anyway, it, it ended up going to the canon lawyers up at the what are they, the Chancery or whatever, yeah. and and they they looked at my case, and <clears throat> you know there was a there was actually a motu proprio by Pope Benedict XVI that um, stated like once a Catholic, always a Catholic, but it was like in 2009 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, our marriage was before then. And so it wasn't retroactive. And so what they did was they interpreted the fact that I had baptized her as her actually apostatizing technically from the faith. And so we were just two Protestants getting married. And so we didn't even have to get a convalidation. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I did not. So know that. you know, doing a little canon law digging can help sometimes figure things out. But um, and there was a couple other issues there as well. And then, like the night before we were supposed to come in, our van broke down. We didn't have a ride <laughs> to even come to church. And wow. uh, a couple days before, we got strep throat. But we knew a doctor, so we, we got <laughs> we got twenty four hours of go. antibiotics. <laughs> And uh, I mean, just everything just got thrown at us, um, all these emotional challenges, attacks on our marriage. You know, each of the kids have their own story as, as they were processing all of this. Have all well. your kids come to the Catholic Church, too? Or? So, yes, on Feast of Christ the King 2015, all five of my kids and myself were on, entered into the Catholic Church. About. <laughs> it was awesome. talking about. It was awesome. That is and beautiful. One of the cool things about it, too, was because Kelly... Uh, was a little skeptical about all this at first. And she was actually uh, sitting down with each of the kids saying, you don't really want to be Catholic, do you? It's like, yeah, actually. And they're like, well, why? And they each had their own like reason for why they wanted to convert. And so that kind of like, you know, it helped later on just like validate this is like real. This wasn't some sort of manipulation. I don't know. Dad's on, doing dad's it. Part. I might as yeah, well do it too. Right. Exactly. This is real. Yeah. 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 So that was cool. That is amazing, man. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I hear, I, I actually have said this many, many times. I'll tell this to people who will listen uh, uh, and that's not many people, but um, I believe all, <laughs> I believe all true Catholics are converts because even if you're born into the church, at some point you have to make a decision. This is, and, and that decision always seems to come, at least it did in my case, after I've been away from the church for a while, living a very non-Catholic life. And so the fact that I was born into it, I don't know that that really even factored into it. You know, some people use the word reversion and that's fair yes. enough, but I think it was a conversion. And I think all true Catholics are converts because at some point you have to decide. Yeah, I was you know, going through some of my old, uh, journaling before I was coming with you guys. And I'd made an entry um, a few months before I came in where I was just like, I was always a Catholic. I just didn't know it. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the same true. Like you're saying all, all uh, cradle Catholics are converts. And I think based on Christ uh, on the foreknowledge of God, you know, all converts from the cradle have been known by the Lord. And so yeah. we're and all, I, we're I've all known the same a, family. And I've known a lot of Catholics who've never had a conversion. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry, whatever it is they're doing, they're not living a Catholic life. I mean, they, they, they go to mass twice a year. 
They go to communion, even though they don't go to confession. They don't pray the rosary. They don't have a de any devotions. They don't have any, uh, they don't even break down. They don't even really have any holy pictures or anything in their house. And, yeah. you know, and then they, then they come up. Well, I know about Catholicism because I went to Catholic school when I was a kid. <laughs> it's like, so what? Who cares? Read what Jesus says about lukewarm people. And I got to tell you, I agree with him. Yeah. Who cares? So, so I was like there... the anti-Catholic Protestants better, quite frankly, because at least they, <laughs> at least they believe in something. What there, I want to go back to the conversion process because it seems like there, <clears throat> a lot of times there's something that people say was their biggest hurdle to overcome as far as dogmatic teachings of the church or any teaching. I guess it doesn't have to be dog Mary. dogmatic necessarily. So it was Mary for you. Yeah. And and now you have a huge devotion to our Blessed Mother, right? That is correct. So once she won, so once the Blessed Virgin Mary won you over, it was you were all in at that point. Yeah. So once I once I saw the Eucharist for what it was, it's like okay, I gotta become Catholic. Um and then when I finished the entire catechism, I was just like, okay, listen, there's enough evidence here that these guys are on the right track that even though I don't understand really what they're saying about our blessed mother, um, I think it'll just, I trust them. There was enough for me to trust them yeah. that I'm assuming what they're saying um, about the blessed mother is true. I just don't understand it. And that's okay. Uh, for me to understand mysteries, you know, doesn't mean they're not true if I don't understand them, you know. Right. And so I came in not really getting a lot about uh, devotion to our Blessed Mother. Um, I was given a rosary and I, you know, started trying to pray that. And it kind of helped with the process as well. And um, sacramentals, holy water, things like this, they, they were very helpful little, there's just so much that was helpful, but, um, yeah, like you're saying, the blessed mother was definitely, uh, an issue for me. I'll tell you one of the things that got like, cause I went through my own deal. Like when I was a much, much younger man, when I, my initial sort of reversion conversion, whatever you want to call it, where I was like the, the, the Catholic church's blessed virgin mary thing is weird to me it's it's mm -hmm. it's it's different none of the other you know denomination denominations and I, I used to even use that word have the blessed mother and everything but then i looked at the orthodox and yeah. i thought i thought there is no way in the world they would have this just because the roman church has it the only right. reason, yeah. the only reason that these Orthodox would maintain this intense devotion to our Blessed Mother is because they're another, they're like like the Catholic Church. They can trace their their uh, Episcopal lineage back to the apostles. That's right. So it's interesting to me, and I and not not just the Greek Orthodox, but also the Oriental Orthodox churches, exactly. which split from um, them at Chalcedon, I believe, is the sticking point there. But all of the apostolic um, churches that I mean, and I'm I'm saying that the Catholic Church is the one true church, but I'm saying these churches can trace their theological and and bishopric lineages back apostolically. They all have this devotion to the Virgin Mary, so that must mean they all got it from the same place. 
That's right. Well, yeah, and, and it's you can, the only explanation. Yeah, and you can see very early in in church history liturgies dedicated to say the dormition of Our Lady or right and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, just real quick, Keith, what's your favorite Marian title? Oh. <laughs> Ma mother. You, or, or or do you enjoy the whole collection? <laughs> I enjoy the entire catalog. <laughs> the catalog, yes, the entire catalog. Um, yeah, I mean uh, Theotokos, I guess you know. Um, but <clears throat> but in that, the the thing that that uh, that really helped me understand what, what was going on here with our Blessed Mother is just this idea of family, and. The closer that I've I've grown to this devotion uh, to her, the more she's brought me to Jesus. This isn't a kind of see in my in my thinking, it was like I either give every all my focus to Christ and no one else, or if I give it a little bit to uh, Mary, then I'm being unfaithful to Christ. Right. You know, and it's that's not how families work, and we're being called into a family. And so as I grow closer to my mother, I grow closer to my heavenly father, I grow closer to Jesus, my brother, um, or to the new Adam and the new Eve and, you know, the new creation that we're a part of. And, um, and as you read some of those early church fathers, like Irenaeus, like I was alluding to there, you just, um, you start to realize like, this is really central to what the church has always taught. Um, yeah. And it, it helps us stay out of schism. I think our blessed mother doesn't want her children to fight. Mm-hmm. And as we um, increase in our uh, devotion to her, she's going to help us avoid these little debates we get into that uh, cause problems. Well, you know, m- many people accuse, I guess, Catholic converts of not not having the proper reverence and respect and even knowledge of scripture, um, which I don't think anybody that really knows you can make that argument. So how did, uh, I guess in your, in your, when you were a minister at the Christian churches, churches of Christ, I don't guess you use typology too much because to me, typology is, is, is beautiful. Um, what did you think of, of the typology as far as pulling scripture together, especially as you had studied them for years? So I, when I did a little stint in seminary, I actually, I wanted to major in um, old Testament, um, old Testament. And because I loved typology. So I'd always really? kind oh, of, okay. yeah, I always kind of, um, cause I never this. heard of it un- until okay. I converted. Yeah. That, 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 that's yeah. why I'm kind of surprised that you were okay. Yeah, so the type and antitype uh, concept, you know, I mean, it's in Scripture itself. Um, I think, though, the, the what was missing was that we had a hermeneutic, which is the, the science and art of interpreting Scripture. Um, we had a hermeneutic that was very scientific. It was based on a lot of, like, Enlightenment period principles. Yeah. And um, it was almost... Uh, a bias of skepticism, you know, uh, in the, in the sense, but you, you, um, you followed rules of grammar as a historical grammatical approach is what you would call it. That's kind of our approach to interpreting, which is a, which is also a Catholic approach. But what I began to realize as I was doing the historical grammatical approach to scripture, 
was that in history, the apostles were using typology and other forms of hermeneutics on the Old Testament. So there was like a patristic hermeneutic that didn't compute with what I had been taught in Bible college. They're interpreting scripture in a way that it, it's biblical and it was done by the apostles. And what is this all about? And so wanting to have a more patristic hermeneutic also uh, drew me into studying um, these typologies about our Blessed Mother, uh, which I think is how we ended up on this rabbit trail. But um, what does my, that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like, I, I, I think back to when, okay. when Jesus, because uh, there, there's, there's, there's all these stories in the, in the Bible. There's a, there's a multitude of them, and I'll recount just a few of them, where people always are asking somebody if they're the prophet Elijah who died or didn't die went up who has been gone for a while. Okay. <laughs> they, what the, the Pharisees asked John the Baptist, are you Elijah? And then there's another story when he gives the charge to Peter, uh, the, the rock upon which you build my church. He says, who do men say that I am? Some right. say that you are Elijah. And then right. on the cross, when, um, when he says, Ali, Ali, Lama Sabachthani, mm -hmm. uh, someone says he calleth upon the prophet Elijah. There's typology. This is, and you know, one of the things I'm sure Heath that you can probably attest to, cause I've done a little digging into first century Judaic thought also. So in, in order yeah. to help illuminate the scriptures a little bit more, yes. typology is all through Ju first century Judaic theology and, Absolutely. and ways of reading the scriptures. Um, and you know, it, it's just, it's all over the place and it's so beautiful. It really, um, I, I mean, it, I can't even imagine how I could read the scriptures without them, without that mm -hmm. typology. Oh, can't do it anymore. You can't yeah. do it anymore. No, can't no, unsee I, it. <laughs> no. Yeah. Once you, yeah. Yeah. Once you see, you can't unsee it. And, and you know, so, so Heath, after you became Catholic, I mean, I know we're on a constant journey in our faith throughout the rest of our life will be but um i guess i guess after your conversion you started uh looking into the or or dabbling i guess if you want to say into the eastern catholic churches right because because i know that you were on a previous episode about the ruthenian byzantine catholic church and and i guess at, at that point that is your the parish you go to pretty much regularly correct yeah i mean i live right next to a um Norvis where i was received actually just down yeah. the street and so um I, i'll i still do a lot of daily masses over there and, yeah um i i, lots, I, I yeah. so, so sorry I, I was just gonna ask I, I guess i guess my question was ultimately gonna be what what about the eastern spirituality oh yeah yeah so while i was in rcia then I also had signed up for an icon workshop at the, the Byzantine Catholic Church here in town, St. John Chrysostom, and um, really just fell in love with the spirituality and the liturgy and all that. So, um, yeah, we uh, we attend the liturgy there at St. John Chrysostom. There, there's kind of a um, like you're a parish member uh, without actually doing the paperwork. Yeah. And that's kind of where our state our state is with them. Uh, canonically, we're we're still Latin. Um, in fact, during COVID, um, actually uh, had like a 
I don't know what they called it, like a part-time membership or a uh, half membership or something with Regina challenge. You guys go to. And uh, so to me, you know, I, I, um, I just wanted to embrace the entire Catholic church. Um, I didn't, I know that there's, I, you know, some identity politics, but, and, and that we're comfortable with certain things. And I'm, um, and there's, there's some immaturity on, on some people's parts in this from leadership and, and you know, and, um, but it's, it's just one church. And so, um, I just, I just love it. And I don't really like to get too involved with the, uh, the liturgy wars or whatever. I, I just think yeah. it's all beautiful. And I think James, James battle, my buddy who also goes there said it yeah. profound, made a profound statement. He said, probably the difference between our liturgies is le- is between each other is less than the difference between what's going on on the liturgy on earth and the liturgy that's actually taking place in heaven. <laughs> right. The, the, dis, the, di, the difference between the two is much greater than the differences that we have. Uh, I, I actually don't think when I, when I look at the liturgy, there's nothing, there's nothing to be quote unquote proud of because yeah. I didn't write it any more than you did. This isn't my <laughs> liturgy. This is, you know, uh, so to sit there. Oh yeah. Well, my liturgy is the best liturgy. I don't have a liturgy. I, I don't have one. I've never written one. Uh, in fact, my whole thing is that they shouldn't be written by a single person. The liturgies are given to us over time by the, by the Holy ghost. Mm-hmm. And I'm not holier than the church. The church says that these other liturgies are just as valid, just as licit, just as holy. So there's nothing to be quote unquote proud of. That doesn't mean I'm ashamed of our liturgy, obviously, but you know, oh yeah, this, and it doesn't mean where you could take personal pride in something like yeah, and, and I feel pain that. when there's liturgical abuses. Of course, and, oh, and I think that's I think that's really what a lot of this comes down to is that we, we when you see it, liturgical abuses, it hurts, right? Because right. you do love the liturgy so much, <laughs> right? No, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 I think Heath can relate, and, and you you even as well, Mark. I mean, being a cradle Catholic, um, I mean. I'm Catholic for a reason. I, I humbled, you know, the best I could humbled myself and assented to the church's authority said, okay, I, I do not have the right as an individual because individualism in in Western culture today has become basically a form of idol worship. People view themselves as a sole authority, even on the liturgies themselves, you know, they, yeah, they, they may quote, you know, popes or they may quote councils or they may quote scripture but it all goes back down this is how they're interpreting it for themselves and then they're trying to take their individual individualistic if i said that right yeah understanding of it and enforce it on everybody else when at the end of the day like i am if there's not a i i go to the tlm for numerous reasons i've mentioned it on the show but at the end of the day i am not going to miss mass because all I have to attend is the Novus Ordo. Right. Because yeah. <laughs> much like Heath, I I abhor liturgical abuses. Luckily, I have never been to a Novus Ordo where I have seen these abuses. I've been to some 
very well done Novus Ordos. Like, and Heath can attest to this as well. I don't know if you've been down there, Mark, but me and Heath have been there together. Uh, Annunciation downtown, Father oh, yeah. Felix. I've been there. Does, many the, times. The, does uh, <laughs> one, but like the one down the street for me and Heath, it's a very just run of the mill, generic Novus Ordo. There's nothing crazy going on. There's not dancers or, or, uh, you know, all, all these other things that you see on the news. And and me and Heath have, have attended the ordinary here in Houston together. I, of course, I've been to the Byzantine with him. Um, and yes, he it, has a question. And because I, I was thinking about this recently, I can't help but think because I went to the last Novus Ordo Mise that I went to was in um, in uh, Hilton Head, South Carolina. Uh, there was a traditional Latin mass in Savannah, but it was like 45 minutes away. And I, I had a tea time set up. And so <laughs> this is, a, I know that sounds very like uh, terrible of me, but, but I, but I, you know, there's, there's Catholic church right there in Hilton head. It's Nova Sordis. And, and I sat there and I'm spotting liturgical abuse. I'm spotting theological error in the homily and this thing. Do you think that, that because we're in a Nova Sordo Mise, we're looking for the liturgical abuses more. I think you think so. there's something to that? And so I if so. I, I wonder, because I was sitting there looking at, like, I don't do this at traditional Latin mass. I don't. Okay. Did he put the maniple on correctly? Okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't scrutinize every movement like that. Why am I doing well, that? Well, and, and, and other people have made this argument. I think, that you don't maybe see as many of the liturgical abuses within the traditional Latin mass communities today. Like you may have seen pre Vatican two because it's a very small minority with very dedicated and holy priest and laity. Right. And I know I mentioned on the show before, I know some very, very holy and pious Novus Ordo Catholics that put me to shame. And um, but yeah, like when we travel, I know White Wolf, our friend White Wolf, isn't gonna like this. But when I travel for my kids' wrestling tournaments, we go to we we go to mass. We make a point to go to mass. But there's not Latin mass communities all over this state, all over the country. So so I will attend those. And me and Heath have even several months ago, might have been a year now. Heath, I remember sitting out talking to you after a yes. daily mass down the street, and and I was saying, okay, yeah, I notice these things. I notice there are things that I don't like that they allow within the Novus Ordo liturgy that I don't like, and I don't right. think it's right. And maybe a future council or pope will correct those things that I think are not good. But just because I don't think they're not good doesn't make them illicit, invalid, or wrong. Yeah. Um, so I think it's also an exercise in humility. Big time. Yes. Very, very well said. And, 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 and as it hurts us, and I think, Jason, during that time, you and I uh, had this exact talk about the quote from St. Max, where he says, our Lord is a prisoner of love in the Eucharist. And mm. he's, he's there. Amazing. Yeah. He's there in the middle of those liturgical abuse by his own choice as a prisoner of love for us. And as much as it hurts our heart, you know, you know, it what it does to him, uh, I can only imagine. So we have, you know, as the spiritual says, Jesus understands our sorrows. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think sometimes, especially like there was some things that, that happened and the, there were some things the priest said in the homily that I was like, well, that's not true. And that's, 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 uh, that's error and things like that. But here's the deal. There are some theological subjects that are so nuanced. If you say it and you, you meant to say it this way, but you chose the words poorly, you could 
present it erroneously. I, I, sure. I know I've done it. I hope to God I don't do it. And I pray to God to forgive me when I do. Um, but you know, like, why am I, I, I think it's not good for me to sit there and nitpick like that and, and yeah. be that, be that Pharisee, you know? And I'm uh, guilty of it myself a lot of times. Like I, yeah. like, like, like when I do attend, sometimes I have to tell myself, okay, just, you know, in my head, I'm like, okay, you're nitpicking, just shut up, <laughs> you know, yeah. shut up and focus <laughs> on what's important right now. It's not these things that you don't like, or you think aren't good or wrong. And I think it is pharisaical because in, in the negative sense of that word, because I, I think that I'm doing it so that I can justify my <clears throat> own liturgical supremacy of where I go. That that's better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then I fall into that. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm again, like that Pharisee, thank you, Lord, for not making me like these people. And it's like, you don't want to be that guy, you know? Yeah. So it, it happens to all of us, I think. Um, and, you know, m may God forgive us and, and, work past our deficiencies. Um, I know we're coming up on an hour and 30, um, but I do. I, so I, I do want to start closing it out here a little bit, but I, Heath, what an amazing story. And I just feel like God has got such big plans for you. Um, I'm so glad that you're with us in this glad divinely instituted, incredibly messy family called the <laughs> Catholic church. Um, <laughs> And I think that you have illustrated something on this show that I have, that is an attitude I've tried to foster amongst myself. And one that I've, I've, I've tried to foster on this show is that we need to work past these differences and these disagreements like a family. Yes. Um, we have a good friend, a friend of the show, uh, Haley, who is present a lot of times at a lot of our live uh, streams and things like that. I hope she listens to this program. She's very much Nova Sordo Catholic. She's not into the to the tratty stuff. And uh, she argues with us and, and you know, we go back and forth and things like that. But I've I've always felt like uh, like we're family, you know, yes. and, and we'll just we'll you know, when you have disagreements with your brothers or your sisters or your mother and your father, um, you don't hate each other. Yeah. Right. But it can sure look like it sometimes. <laughs> well, and, and if you look at, if you look at St. Paul's letters to the different churches and, and Heath, I'm sure that you saw this plenty as, uh, as well. The churches was split over the most minute details. Like oh, if yeah. if two elders say, say if two elders' families or wives didn't get along, they may split and go to start a church down there. If you know traditionally within these churches, there's five songs. If there were literally people who would get mad if somebody tried to do four songs or six songs, they say no five <laughs> because it's it's an unwritten tradition. I mean, I mean, I'm sure you've seen that, and they would split over these details. And talking about a messy family, when we see Paul writing these letters to the churches, he's correcting them on moral issues, like it's in the case of the Corinthians and stuff like that. He's correcting them. But he's also, as he's writing to them over their squ petty squabbles and everything, he doesn't say, hey, uh, Larry and Joe, y'all just split up and go start. He says, stay together, be right. unified, and learn to get along for the greater glory of Christ. It's basically yes. the message that he sends a lot of times. Now, granted, there <laughs> aren't some of those letters where he is saying, no, you need to make this moral adjustment, right? But but Paul is calling for unity, and you just don't see that in, 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 in Protestantism as well. And 
I just I, I like the way you talk about it. We're a messy family, but at the end of the day, we're all Catholic. That's right. right and we help we're we're a part of each other's sanctification. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And That's so, true. Yeah, by the way, I found by the way, guys, I found I found the ticket to heaven. I I, I and if the church doesn't if the church doesn't grant indulgences to this, they should really think it was should they should put this in the Recolta. Um it's called Costco at the holidays during the holidays. <laughs> Hey. This will now now I don't recommend this for spiritual novices, okay? Because this will really <laughs> test you. This will really test you. This is for people in the advanced, you know, Padre Pio type type thing, right? Because uh, it'd be nice to buy locate during holiday season. Yeah, it'd, yeah. it'd be nice to buy locate <laughs> out of Costco. Um, <laughs> well, if you meet the right friends. It can also help your time in purgatory as well because you'll do some of that suffering on earth. I won't name any names from our friends over at Avoiding wow. Babylon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Avoiding okay. Babylon. Yeah. I thought you were talking about yeah. me. I, I, like, wow. I won't name them, but become friends with them and you may lessen your time in purgatory if that's where you end up. Yeah. <laughs> um, shout out to Anthony and Rob. Love you guys. I wasn't uh, going to name names. Good job, hey, Mark. I named names. <laughs> I name names, baby. I got. I have no allegiance to anything other than the truth. Um, and I've all. I also think you have, in in many ways, humanized Protestants a little bit on this show, which is important because we're not going to convert. First of all, we don't convert people; only God does. But second of all, you're certainly not going to do it by bad mouthing people. People don't find it attractive when you tell them they're scum and lower than. They just don't. That that doesn't resonate with anybody so we need to understand that our protestant brethren are human beings they are they're made in the image and likeness of god they are redeemed creatures and you know it, it's important to understand where they're coming from so that we can have those discussions and yeah. i think that you've uh you've fleshed that out for us a little bit on this show which i think has been uh, which is important um, yeah. and i really thank you for coming on the show and talking with oh, us i I know it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me guys. Absolutely. Uh, Jason, any parting thoughts before we close off tonight's episode? Uh, no, no, not too much. I just want to like you, I want to thank Heath for coming on. Um, I've been really wanting to get, get this story from him because it is very encouraging every time I hear it. Um, and yeah, just, just thanks for coming on. This is, uh, hopefully it it provides encouragement to people that listen to it. Cause, uh, because we all need that encouragement. So again, I, I thank you for you know for your friendship. I thank you for your encouragement and your faithfulness in Christ. Ultimately, and right for, back at and, you, buddy. And for and for coming on and relaying this very powerful story to us, um, I'm I'm really appreciative. I I just have a feeling that our Lord is going to get this to somebody who needs it. And that was the whole reason wonderful. we created our little podcast was we don't have a, a ton of followers, but the followers that we do have seem to like what we're doing. And oh, and I wanted to say something else before we close off the show. I want to thank our followers like so much. I can't even tell you guys how much it means to us when you even you, White Wolf, who you drive me crazy <laughs> when you like our when you like our videos, when you engage with us in the comment section, I I, I you guys have met. I mean, I, when, when Jason and I started this podcast, we just wanted to sort of yell into the internet everything that annoyed us about the hierarchy <laughs> of the church, and it's become something so much better than that. I, and, and I'm really appreciative 
to to God and to you guys uh, in the in the comments section and who like and subscribe to this podcast. Thank you all so much for for allowing me and Jason to come and invade your your personal space with our our stupid stories and our weird guests and our and our bizarre testimonials. And I know, uh, look, this is a weird topic. But then again, like I like I said in an earlier episode. The first chapter, I think, I believe it's John's gospel, although it might be one of the synoptics, where they talk about John the Baptist. Um, they introduce him as a man who wears uh, cam- who wears animal skins and eats wild locusts and honey. So they they're introducing you right off the bat. You're going to meet some weird people <laughs> in Christianity by okay? worldly standards. You're going to yeah. meet some strange people. Just prepare yourself now. But anyway. Uh, I really appreciate all of our followers and all. Did of you, you just compare yourself us. to John the Baptist? Oh no, no, no! Trust <laughs> me, wouldn't wouldn't even think of it. <laughs> May God forgive me. I um, hope I hope I see you dressed like him next next episode. Hey, you say that you you say you know what? Don't you can't take back things. There's some things you can't unsee. I'll put it to you that way. Yeah. Um, okay, that's all I got, guys. I hope everybody has a blessed remainder of what's left of Advent. The birth of our Lord is right around the corner. Um, and remember, life is hard, but it's harder when you don't pray the rosary. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. God bless you, Heath. God bless you, Jason. We'll talk to you all another time. God bless. All right, God bless. Yeah.